Perspectives YYC is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. The APN is the brainchild of Karen Unland, built to support and grow local podcasts. Podcasts like The Read Along. You know, I love books, and I would like to join a book club, but uh, it seems like such a big commitment. Why is that? Reading a whole book in a month, that takes a lot of time. Well, what if it was only one chapter, say, a week? Organizing to meet up with people is a lot of work. Well, what if it was only half an hour, whenever it worked for you? That would be great. The Read Along. It's a mini book club for your ears. Join my wife, Anita. And my husband, Scott. On a weekly journey through a good book, one one chapter chapter at at a time. time. Part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. And subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts can be found. They can be found at readalongpod.blogspot.com or through the APN website, albertapodcastnetwork.com. Hello, and thank you for connecting with us today. Whether you've been listening into the previous conversations or this is your first time, I'm working over here to get you connected to the amazing artists and creators on the ground here in Calgary. We've had photographers, painters, poets, and the like, and today we bring back a politician, but not just any ordinary politician. Today we talk to Tenna Boonlert, who originally I met as a fellow street photographer. Later I learned that he was an engineer, and then that he hikes to mountain peaks, and then I learned that he has been running for the Green Party here in Calgary for the last few years. This man loves a challenge. I'm going to ask him some questions about his approach to politics and for his personal and candid thoughts on that subject. Take a listen and let me know your thoughts. Music for this episode has been provided by Calgary artist and tennis friend and supporter Mayowa. He sent us his track, Gorgeous, to keep this recording fresh. You can find him on Instagram at whoismayowa, that's W-H-O-I-S-M-A-Y-O-W-A and on Spotify, search for Mayowa. start like this uh what's going how's it going yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh it's going uh, i feel like every day is kind of routine now even though i got laid off recently i'm finally doing the work that i want to do and uh now more than ever i'm actually working like 10 to 12 hours and but i feel like it's meaningful work right so i'm feeling good I'm feeling good Let's get into that story, but first, sure. um, I should ask you before we turn on the mics, how do I correctly pronounce your name? Tana. 
Tana. Like Thailand. All right. Silent H, just for fun. How do we meet, Tana? How do we meet? <laughs> well, we met on the street. Uh, it was Stephen Ave. It's Thug's Life, man. Thug's Life. I was wearing my big baggy toque. I'm pretty sure it has some hip uh, sweater thing going on and uh, had my camera in hand. You had your camera in hand. We are both shooting some street stuff that time and uh, that's how we connected. I think I was walking by you and uh, were you with Noisy Bokeh at that time? Yeah, or? I was with Noisy Bokeh, the, the big photography group in town here. And, and we exchanged socials. Very important. <laughs> What's your Instagram handle? First right? question, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and then I discovered, I think like a, a lot longer after, because you used to go by a different handle. What was your photography handle? Well, I, yeah, I got three uh, Instagram handles here. So my photography one is DAQ Photography, which stands for Don't Ask Questions. And then I got my personal one, Tana.Boonlert. And then my political one, Tana for YYC. Right. So I'm, I can't remember if it was that... Marta Grauer. Anyways, we met somewhere one day mm -hmm. and then I learned you're also a politician. But yeah, you have a very interesting dimensionality. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, maybe, maybe it's because I've lived many lives in the past. I don't know. But I feel like at least in this life, uh, not that I'm religious or anything, spiritual to a certain sense, but I feel like we just got to give it our all, right? We, we live once. There's so much crazy stuff happening in the world. Like we got to give it our all to try to either influence change or try to live the best life you can so you can be happy and like you feel like you fulfilled something, right? Well, tell me, I suppose, what you're doing exactly right now and about, well, what you just spoke about, how we have to put our life energy into things that we believe in, how that crosses into politics. Yeah, just like give me kind of a snapshot of Tana today. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I, I mean, since we've met three, four years ago, I've, I feel like I've matured so much. Uh, this is actually my fourth time running for office, second time federally. And I, I think, you know, the, the whole reason why I got into politics at all is because I, I feel like the system and the political system, government, is really good at making us not want to get involved at all, right? It kind of makes us complacent in a certain sense especially what kind of what they show on in the media and whatnot. And I feel like we, we need some younger voices in there that's actually going to be willing to shake things up a little bit and do something different, right? And I think this is, this is why it's so important to, to have diversity. And this is what I think I bring, like diversity. I bring a bit of youth. I'm barely youth anymore. I'm, I'm finally 30. <laughs> but, uh, and, and also some people with a bit of a different back, educational background going into it, right? I, I have a science and engineering background. I think that's what we need because there's a lot of politicians in there that have only business and law degrees. And that's how they're going to see the world. They're going to see the world in, well, finding loopholes and trying to make money the, the best you can, right? And at least with my background, what I'm trying to bring forward is an evidence-based type uh, solution-making process, which is what science is all about, right? And like, regardless of how inconvenient truths are, I think the constituents and voters and, and Canadians deserve to know the truth. So that, that's kind of like the, the theme that I'm trying to bring here. So truth and uh, courage to, to really put your foot forward and to do something different. Let's, I mean, I've got a, a couple of questions, but that last point, maybe we can start that there. I've been focusing and worrying a lot about this idea of semantics and how we use words. So um, you're focusing on the sense of truth, 
mm-hmm. you're uh, contextualizing it <laughs> yeah. uh, with science versus law. So what does truth mean to you? Like that word, yeah. are you leveraging that as a, um, I'm right, they're wrong, or is it about um, sort of like, like a science, um, you know, a rational uh, discussion about these are the evidence we have to make decisions based on this. I mean, what, what does yeah. the truth mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so truth for me um, would, would mean science, right? Like what are the signs telling us about what is going on in the world? So for example, um, the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the UNIPCC, uh, recently released a report saying that, you know, climate change is happening at a way faster rate than we are giving it credit for. So a lot of the scientists there are actually claiming that we, we had 12 years. Now it's about, you know, 11 or 10 and a half. But a lot of politicians aren't taking this this report and these scientific facts as urgent as we need, right? So they're, they're kind of still going day by day and making sure that their ties with corporations or businesses are met before the needs of the people. And I, honestly, if we don't start addressing these scientific facts, then whatever economy or business ties we have are going to go down the chute anyways, because that doesn't matter at the end of the day. If we don't have a planet to live on, the economy doesn't matter. Money doesn't matter. We're going to be dead. So that's the type of urgency and truth that I think we need to start really addressing. One of the things that I guess it's bringing me back to from the beginning, uh, what we're talking about is, you know, you state that we need younger voices to get into the system, to bring a scientific voice. We're looking now at what I, what I'm hearing anyways, is this sort of long versus short game. Can, can we have leaders come into the political system that exists and actually connect with, let's say, voters or individuals on long-term concepts like the environment or, or even uh, social s- systematic things? Or does everything now have a narrative and have to have a re- rhetoric about what am I getting out of it today? Because mm. I remember we went out to that, uh, we went out to Kent Hare's office, was it last year? Yeah. And I actually, I've been talking about this a lot with a lot of people. I was quite shocked, um, you know, stereotypically, and you know, your uh, your group met my stereotype. There's a lot of old hippies with dirty water yeah, and sure. bottles, um, <laughs> which is you know a fair sort of characterization because they are um, at least traditionally the idea of a green party was to worry about these things, resources yeah. and trees, etc. Mm-hmm. But you know what shocked me was uh, the the vitriol, the Mm-hmm. The, I guess they're called black. I don't know what they're called, black shirts, whatever. But you, yeah. you guys showed up with like 60 people, and there's 250 people screaming, literally murder, yeah. violence at you. Yeah. And their main statement was about their mortgages, yeah. was about them being able to feed people, even though they all have the day off and they're all, you know, came in their big trucks and they all earn money, but they're all scared of yeah. losing their possessions. And so, how do we. How do you look at this idea of science, environment, global, mm-hmm. long-term fear versus the short-term immediate ego, selfish fear that an individual voter has? I mean, how do, yeah. we, how do we connect those two points? That's so much in that question. It's so packed. <laughs> you know, it's great. No, it's great. I love it. Uh, well, I guess, first of all, I, I got to point out that in Calgary and in Alberta, 
the demographics are way different than what you would see, for example, in, in BC, in mainland uh, Vancouver, and even in the East Coast, right? PI, New Brunswick, whatever, right? The protests look much different. So the protests, for example, that we saw in Calgary, where there is a small group of us trying to fight for climate change and the planet versus uh, in BC would be the complete opposite, right? But you're absolutely right. The narrative around how we address the economy and the planet just hasn't been good within the government. That's the issue that, that we're having right now. Our whole political system right now is based on partisan rhetorics, right? That's why it's broken. It's become, uh, hey, Calgary Flames versus the Edmonton Oilers, right? And in this case, it would be the Liberals versus Conservatives. And that's, that's the problem with it, is when it's so partisan, our politics, people forget even about the messaging. It's just literally just my team versus your team. And so what I'm trying to bring forward here with the Greens, and I think the Greens do it the best, is they're trying to find a collaborative method of actually addressing some of these issues so that we can put aside party banner colors and actually talk about the real issues here. Now, going back to the point of the, the people caring about their mortgages and making a payment and whatnot, you know, I actually have worked up at the oil sands. You know, I, I was up there three weeks ago. I actually also work in the coal mines every now and then, right? Like, I, I work literally with all the labor workers in these industrial facilities. I've got my hard hat on, my blue suit, whatever else. And I've had some long discussions with a lot of these workers. And, and like, you're, you're absolutely right. The, the thing that they care the most about is is being able to provide for their families, right? Being able to pay the bills. And I've asked a lot of these people, hey, w would you care really what industry that you're working in if you made the same amount of money? And also if you were able to see your families uh, on a more regular basis and not have to travel so far, every single one of them said, absolutely, we wouldn't care. We would work in renewables. We would work in solar, wind, geothermal, whatever, even agriculture, as long as it paid the same and that they can provide for the family and see them. That's what it matters the most, right? So the whole messaging around, I think, the pipeline talk, and especially at the protests that we saw, is just the fear of losing their job and not being able to provide. And I could really, really empathize with that. And so I think the government has to play a, a better role in actually saying, okay, look, how do we make sure that we still have a strong economy, that we provide jobs while still making sure that our planet is, is going to survive and that we can also provide for our families 50 years ahead of time, right? But I think that's where the messaging is lost, is partisan politics at the end of the day. And I think we need to get rid of parties. If, if it was up to me, I would make sure that there were no parties. If we're doing first past the post, which is our current electoral system, I would get rid of parties completely. But because we do have parties in Canada, I think we need electoral reform and then move to something closer to proportional representation where every vote actually matters then. Sorry for ranting there. No, 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 I'm just trying to there's a lot there. Yeah, I'm trying to kind of, I guess maybe my intuitive first thought is this sort of conflict I have about agreeing with everything you said, but also feeling like there's a sense of almost naivety to it. Sure, if, let's hear it. My fear is, it's not, ju I mean, partisan politics and this red, blue, and we're seeing its worst sort of expression, well, probably not the worst, but our closest expression of that in the States, where it's becoming physically violent. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that's a problem. But also, there are these layers. We bring up this idea of uh, what is a promise to the, to the low-end workers or the mid-level workers of income, security, 
health benefits, what, whatever, whatever is they need individually. Mm-hmm. Well, who's controlling that? It's not the liberal or conservative party, it's the corporate uh, investment. And as the corporate sort of power, this capitalistic extension that we live in now, I yeah. mean, whatever the value of capitalism has been socially when it was born, mm-hmm. um, at this stage, we're seeing a group of, I think, human beings, presumably, mm-hmm that are so interested in their own personal wealth gaining that they are almost directly murdering other human, never mind the environment, yeah, but directly yeah. murdering other human beings and stepping on other people's presumed rights. And yeah. So there's, there's that level where if the Green Party actually came into power, um, we had this green wave and they took uh, control of the government of Canada. Mm-hmm. How quick would it be before a Justin Trudeau situation would come out. I mean, not to name names, yeah, sure, but the sure. idea of dumping money uh, to Quebec, I don't think that comes from him individually. Mm-hmm. Do you personally have an idea of you know, what you would do if you actually got elected? <laughs> yeah, of, of course. It, it's funny because the Green Party is actually the only party that has a policy manual that shows exactly every single one of our stance on pretty much any issue that you can think of. Uh, I was actually looking into this the other night because I wanted to see uh, different parties' stances on animal rights. And guess what? The the Green Party is the only party that even has a stance on animal justice. We're trying to be as transparent as as we can, right? We want to show the public exactly how we will govern if elected. So answering your questions. On, On top of having what our stances are for every issue you can think of, we also have a section underneath the, those issues that says a green MP will and then a long list of bullet points for that issue of what we would do if we were elected. So it's funny because our mandate is pretty much laid out for the public to see exactly how we would govern. And I think that's why a lot of even conservatives are starting to uh, look towards us because they like that notion of, of having predictability and transparency, right? So like to your point here of what I am interpreting as corrupt government, <laughs> right? The, the reason why it's so corrupt is because we don't see exactly what they're doing behind the scenes until it's finally revealed by someone on the inside. And this is why we're polling so well now across the country is because people finally see that we've been consistent. Our messaging is persistent. Like it, it hasn't changed and it won't change because we've laid it out. We've laid the framework out for people to see. And I think that's what's missing, right? Is, is a lot of transparency and courage to, to be vulnerable to the public and for public to really, hey, criticize us on points that they might not agree with so that we can actually adapt and make it good for, for the constituents. I just, I just imagine you walking in, having been freshly elected mm-hmm. and seeing the interconnectivity of how this one policy might affect some what's seemingly unrelated, like social aspect, international aspect. Sure, sure. The uh, impression I get uh, mm-hmm. from these topical scanning of news articles you know, <laughs> is uh, that it's not even just corporate, Canadian corporate interest. You know, now it's essentially a global branding scheme. Right, right. Um, how do we as a country, you as an individual, I mean, how do we get to the point where we actually want to do, quote unquote, the right thing. I mean, what is the right thing? Yeah, no, that, that's also a great question. I, and I, I think it all starts with your, your principles, right? I feel like I'm being so partisan myself and I'm trying not to be here, but th- this is why I align with this party so well is that, so first of all, the, the Green Party is 
somewhat of a global party, right? And the reason why it's a global kind of party is because we have um, the six guiding principles. Some of those core principles, for example, are, are nonviolence, democratic participation, social justice, sustainable co concerns and issues, right? Th those are some of the guiding principles. And that's why our policies and everything align with that all the time. And so no matter who we're bringing in, we, we know that they will align with our parties because these principles matter to them. And I think that that's the start of it, right? If, if you want better politicians, those that aren't corrupt, well, what do they actually care about fundamentally first? If compassion isn't there, then obviously that's a flaw right away. Without compassion, you're not going to make policies that are going to benefit society. You're going to make policies that are going to benefit your corporate uh, tendencies, right? And I think that's, that's what's happening right now. And I think that's why a lot of Greens and uh, vegans and environmentalists and social justice people are actually coming towards us because they see that side of compassion that's missing. And on top of that, our, our entire party has vowed not to, to bash any other parties, not to smear other candidates and to run a positive campaign no matter what. And again, that's attracting people to show that we can do politics differently. We can't have governments that, that run with dignity and respect. And I think that's what Elizabeth May has shown really well in government. And, you know, and to remind people as well, we've elected uh, provincial representatives in several different provinces now, BC, Ontario, New Brunswick, and in PEI, we're the official opposition. And in every single one of those cases, all of these MLAs or members of whatever legislature they have, have governed that way, right? And they've shown respect, they've shown dignity. And th this is why, again, we're slowly getting rid of this corruption and this bad politics that, that, that we see. I, I, I don't know what I'm thinking about here. I, I mean, I, I kind of want to touch two points. I mean, you know, this idea of uh, studying science or having people that are elected that studied yeah, social justice, environmental science, etc., long-term vision and mm -hmm. aspects versus short-term gain, personal profit. Um, I think there's an important narrative there. And the other thing I wanted to ask you about was, you know, your recent job loss and sure. um, whether it's given you any perspectives about what Albertans fear. Right? Yeah, uh, I'll start with, I guess, how I came to be like involved in politics and stuff. Is that what you're sure. saying? And like the science and stuff. Yeah. Okay. So it's actually really funny. So <laughs> I think I was about 15 years old or maybe 14. And I uh, watched this this movie called The Day After Tomorrow. Do you remember that one? Yeah. Is that Chris Brosnan? <laughs> yeah. So it was kind of this, you know, apocalyptic, you know, we're all going to die type movie. And uh, it had to do a little bit with climate change. And, you know, it scared me a little bit thinking that something so drastic could happen due to humans' apathetic uh, nature, right? And so because of that, I started looking into uh, to climate change. You know, I was a 15-year-old thinking that, hey, these adults aren't doing anything at all to even try to address some of these concerns that are, there's a lot of scientific evidence towards, like, what, what is going on, right? And so I got more involved with that. And then I also, that's when I first heard of Elizabeth May and the Green Party as well, because I think there's an election happening around the same time that I saw that movie. And then I realized that, geez, well, politicians are the ones making a lot of these big decisions. And so really, if we want to make some changes, we, we got to put pressure on politicians, government, or we got to just got to get involved with it, right? 
as a 15 year old now becoming 16, 17, looking at where I should be going to university and what I should be taking, I decided to go into environmental engineering for university. Uh, the reason being is because I wanted to be able to make sure that I have the knowledge in solving environmental problems and then eventually getting into climate change. So my goal was actually always to get into politics somehow, eventually, but I wanted to first become knowledgeable enough in problem solving of the issues that I care about. Fast forward now until after university, decided to, I went to the University of Guelph, loved it there, highly recommend it to, to anyone who's looking. I decided, hey, well, wh where do I want to actually live and, and have some of these influences for change in the world? I remember working as a summer student at this consulting company and one of, my, one of the managers said that, hey, you know, there's a lot of emissions coming out of Alberta. <laughs> I'm like, really? So I started looking into the oil sands and some of the issues happening around here. And I decided at that point, then on, I remember it just completely changed my life as soon as I had that one conversation. I don't think this person even knows that it, that, that it changed my life this much. But after that, I decided to only apply to jobs in Calgary because I really wanted to move here and fight that uphill battle. Now, if I wanted the easy way out, hey, you know, just go to BC, go to PI New Brunswick and, you know, live a good life and with people that have the same values. No, I, I actually chose to come here and to be the underdog and to try to influence people to, to, to show them that there's, there's people on their side that care about these same issues, right? And that we can band together and we can have positive impact and that we can have a sustainable economy that's forward looking and really help the people as well have a predictable economy, right? And a sustainable economy. So that's how I ended up here. And, you know, I thought that I would uh, be running in, in politics when I was maybe like 40, 45. Uh, but an opportunity presented itself four years ago when I first ran in Calgary Centre my first time in the federal election. And I guess I, I told myself, well, I guess it's my calling. So let's let's start the uh, let's start the journey now. And here I am. And what were you working as? What, what were you uh, doing? Right. So when I when I first moved here, um, I worked as an environmental analyst doing uh, air emissions quantification, uh, air quality measurements and reporting. And it's actually very similar to my most current job here. Uh, doing environmental consulting again for a company that did uh, that worked with a lot of energy companies, oil and gas, and and coal and whatever else. And uh, I, I recently got, recently got laid off, and it's actually not my first time getting la uh, laid off in in the past few years here. And it's it's tough, right? Um, the economy is up and down, and I can really really relate and empathize with the tens of thousands of people who've who've lost their jobs, right? Like it's difficult. It's really difficult, and I think that's why now more than ever. We need to not back down on the changes that we, we really require in this province, but to actually fight for an economy that is going to benefit all of us and have some predictability for the future, right? This up and down doesn't help anybody. And it's really rough on families. It was rough on me. I mean, the first time and second time that I lost my job here, I, you know, you go through the cycle of depression, right? This was just a few weeks ago that I lost my job. So I was having a hard time getting out of bed in the mornings. I was in the middle of a campaign still like I am right now. It pretty much took me about two and a half weeks to really let it sink in that, that you know, that this is, it's happened. It's happened again, but the only way we can move forward is to put your head up high and, and to fight for the people and, and to keep at it, right? And it's tough, but uh, for anyone who's listening, like I, I'm, I'm in that situation and I really am trying to make something better for all of us, so. Yeah, it's, you know, uh, I didn't lose my job because of the recession, I lost my job because I was an asshole. But, um, you know, the 
the thing that happened with Helen and I, I guess quickly, is we both lost our jobs at the same time. And she lost her job uh, for, it was kind of upsetting. It wasn't really justified. But, right. But we lost our jobs at the same time. And I remember, you know, you get into that mode where you start second-guessing everything and thinking about like, how we're going to eat, how we're going to do this thing. But Totally. For us, anyways, one of the ex- exercises, I guess, that came up was like, let's think about what's actually going to happen. And yeah. I wonder if a lot of people either might benefit from this or maybe they won't. I mean, I don't know how other people live their like financial lives or their yeah. personal lives or the familial lives, et cetera. But, you know, this idea of fear, this idea of us thinking we know where we're going to end up mm. seems to drive us to very selfish and problematic decisions. Totally. Um, but I'm sitting with you and you're saying that you went into depression and you decided you wanted to not apply for another engineering job yet anyways, mm-hmm. but push full force uh, on door knocking for Chris's yeah. sake. I mean, what's that conversation to yourself? I mean, what was that two weeks like? It was tough. I mean, I've, I've, <laughs> I honestly debated canceling this entire campaign, right? Um, I'm not a person that has a lot of money. I I don't really have any savings, and it's and the reason being is because I have a lot of student debt, right? I, I come from a family that's you know just above the poverty line type thing, and and we really had to work for everything that we have, and like just for me being able to go to school, what was a big deal, right? And so you know I, I have student debt, and then. Um, of car debt and yeah I shouldn't have bought a car but that was a past relationship thing that's how I ended up with the car anyways that's a whole different story but you know I, I have debt and that's the reality of a lot of families in Alberta right but like I said I, I almost decided to, to to drop this entire campaign but I think I am privileged enough that first of all I'm able to go on EI while I campaign and I also have a, a fantastic partner who's very supportive of, of me running this campaign and fighting for the values that we care most about and for the people, right? And I honestly think that if, well, first of all, if I wasn't privileged enough to do this, yeah, I would probably have to rethink a lot of my decision in running because how would I feed myself otherwise, right? You know what's interesting is, for example, talking about being privileged, coming from near the poverty line, um, and then trying to gloss over that you have car debt and saying that it's not really related. But I think it is, and I think it's related in in a very important way is that if we look at a systematic scale, you know, the system, you know, not just in politics, but the system that tells us to buy a car, the system yeah. that tells us to own, you know, this, that, or the other thing, that we need, yeah. you know, new kicks or a new camera. Like, if we can get into, you know, for people who don't know gas, like gear acquisition syndrome, like most yeah. photographers um, have this compelling urge to own. Uh, equipment and hardware yeah but how many of those people are actually content using it i mean i don't know not to be yeah. a hater but yeah, it's yeah, fascinating it. right um so i don't actually think it's a different story and i don't think it needs to be glossed over. and we don't need to get into um, sure. necessarily the gossip of who and how you dated someone um, yeah. but all of those questions are fascinating i think they're involved because yeah, yeah I mean, sure. how do you talk to like so you have a, a similar story you've been laid off You've made a decision to put your energy into essentially social work and politics. Mm-hmm. But the other people that don't have that conversation, which is the vast majority, I think, of yeah. the people that you're going to need to connect to. I mean, yeah. what's the message you need to give to them? How do you get them to 
agree with what you did and not just be like, well, you're an idiot and you're going to be broke in two weeks? Yeah. How do you get them to the polls and be like, you know, let's say the conservative rhetoric right now mm -hmm. is that they're going to give you work, which they're not. Um, but how do we have that conversation where all of a sudden we're not talking about science and evidence. We're talking essentially about faith. Yeah, that's one of the toughest challenges we have um, speaking at the doors, in the public, anything, right? This is something that the Green Party has struggled with for many years, but I think now more than ever, and especially our messaging at the door now, actually, I'll, I'll rewind here, our entire theme for, for my campaign, at least the biggest theme is courage, right? We really need to have the courage now because if we don't start having the courage now and building that foundation for change, for the future, and showing people the values that we have are actually a viable option for our own lives, and putting the votes where we really care about, then we will never have that change. It'll always be the cyclical, marginal change that we keep seeing, right? This red, blue, red, bolt, red, blue. We're gonna, oh, do a little bit on climate change. We're gonna try to address a little bit of this, but we're gonna break our promises on all of this. I think now more than ever, people are starting to see, okay, these, these, these green people who've been speaking about all these hippie stuff for so long are gaining momentum because people keep putting their votes there and it's growing slowly and slowly and slowly. So what I'm telling people right now is have the courage to, to at least invest that vote so that the values of compassion, of, of caring and truth and evidence-based policy finally emerges because eventually it will. And then once we get into, into government, which I think it will happen, we're going to stay there for a long time and people are going to be really happy with us. I, I almost assure it. Right? It's, it's having that courage. Though. That's, that's step number one, is all of us need to, if we want something that bad, don't roll over and let the system tell you that, oh, you need to fear these, these conservatives or you need to fear these other guys because they're terrible. And so you need to vote this one way or else you'll get these bad guys. And that's, I think, the messaging that the liberals are really good at. Even, even though people remember that they broke the promise on electoral reform, they're still now saying at the door is, hey, we get it, we, we broke our promise there, but you, know, you might end up with these conservative guys if you don't vote for us, even though I know you want to vote for Green or NDP. So, the, so this thing, uh, maybe we can just, I mean, I've been asking a lot of the artists about the culture of Calgary and how it's both influence them in the creative process, but also where they see specifically for this city. I mean, how would you characterize Calgary itself right now? I mean, it's interesting that you're using the word courage. So I'm guessing from, I mean, you can definitely uh, challenge me on this, but I'm guessing through the four or th three previous um, election campaigns, you're getting an intuition of fear rather than commitment to, like it's not, I'm, I'm assuming that you're knocking on a door and meeting, you know, morally and socially um, conservative people, but rather you're getting a lot of messages of people that would kind of listen to you, but their arguments are about, well, we just can't have so-and-so in there, or these people are, are the real enemy or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, um, what's Calgary like in your mind right now? Um, and I'm guessing we're a little biased in the inner city, but... Oh, no worries, um, yeah. Yeah, what are you feeling? Like, how would you characterize Calgary from a political standpoint? And yeah, well, I love to remind people that in 2012, we did have a by-election here where, where it turned out to be very progressive. The Greens got 26% of the votes. We, we were in arm's reach of winning, so it was, it was because of Chris Turner. Yes, he's a well-known author around here. He's won several awards and whatnot. 
But his entire campaign was still, a lot of it was based on a sustainable economy and climate change. And that was in 2012. So we're talking seven years ago, we got 26% of the votes in Calgary Center, inner city, right? So people in, in Calgary are actually much more progressive than the outside world gives us credit for. And this is some of the biggest battle I, I keep having, especially online. There's, there's trolls all the time, right? But even at the doors, people are, are, are saying, ah, you know, Calgary's cow town, you know, you'll never win there. It's, it's very conservative. But it's funny because at the doors, what I hear most about is, oh, we love the Greens so much, but we just can't let the conservative wins. So on that messaging alone, if every single person that said that would actually go out and vote for what they want, you would see the Greens creeping up, creeping up, creeping up, and we would have a Green representative right here in Cowtown, and then it would shock the world. So people are greener than they think, but we haven't been able to give them the opportunity to have that courage. And this is why I'm, 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 I'm talking so much about courage, right? And our, and our team, you could see it, it's funny. Four years ago when I ran, I had three volunteers. Now we have a list of over 20 people wanting to volunteer. Our donations are finally coming in. You know, when, when other people, constituents, see you working so hard and see you having the courage to stand out there, people start joining in. But they need to see it. People need to see that there are other people around them. And this is why lawn signs are so effective, right? It's, it's crazy. You see one green lawn sign, all of a sudden a few neighbors have it because it, it gives you that, um, that okay to vote green or to think progressively because your neighbors are doing it. So now you're not alone doing it. People don't want to be alone. People don't want to be secluded out, right? And I think this is why we're growing. You know, interesting listening to that and going back to this idea of science. I mean, you know, what about the science of psychology and sociology and, and totally. these behaviors you're talking about? Yeah. You know, we are social animals. We are not rational, actually, by nature. Yeah. <laughs> um, we built the foundation of science so we want to trust that there's logic and dependability there but you know i've also been reflecting on how many times science has been wrong over the last you know four thousand years you're right so yeah. i mean not to cast out necessarily let's say on the bigger issue of climate change or where we're going but just drawing it back onto this particular perspective you know you go and knock on a door mm -hmm. and how people respond to you i mean there's going to be you know, there's going to be a different response for uh, a woman, a man. You know, you're a man of color, but, mm -hmm. you know, of different colors, of heights. So, you know, all of these things, unfortunately, play a role. Mm -hmm. I mean, how much of that do you think is part of the corruption of the system? How much of that is a required marketing perspective? You know, you're looking at lawn signs. You're talking about, I mean, you're kind of passing off. The last person that did well was famous. I mean, there's something right. important there, yeah. right? I mean, I'd never heard of him, but yeah. Um, <laughs> but but here's the thing, you know. Uh, I mean, what do we need to do to connect with voters? You know, that last provincial election was mental, but all of the art community um, went orange instead of green. Yeah. Whether they should have or not, who knows? I mean, it's not for me to evaluate individual people's uh, yeah. connection. But, um, you know, there's a weird bias there too, that, you mm -hmm. know, if you're an artist and a creator, you yeah. have to hate liberal and conservative um, parties. Yeah. yeah, it sucks. Yeah, Where, how do we break that mold? Again, go back to the systematic thing. Is there something wrong with the system itself? How do we get back to this thing where someone could connect with Tana himself yeah, and trust you 
Um, yeah, well, well, you're right. And I think the reason the way things are the way they are is, is people are emotional. Humans are very emotional people, right? And it's funny because let's talk about Trump here again, and even the Jason Kenney, even the Andrew Shears here, these conservative figureheads. The reason they're, they appeal so much to some of the general public is because they kind of, their, their messaging is not complex, let's just say. I don't want to say that they're dumbing it down, but they're making it simple enough for anyone to understand, right? And anyone to be emotionally connected to. So a lot of what they're saying is, hey, we're going to make jobs, right? We're going to make jobs, and uh, the reason we are not seeing jobs is because these people who are running things aren't doing their job, and so you need us. Or these other people are stealing your jobs. we got to keep them out, Trump, right? And so that, that type of messing is easily relatable, very easily relatable. That's why when you see Trump's tweets, I mean, they're grade three-level type tweets, right? They're, they're, <laughs> they're like a child written them. I'm not, not calling like, him a child, but no, I, mean, I, I will. <laughs> but I mean, it, the messaging is so simple, and um, I think maybe that's what some progressive people and, and, and politicians haven't been doing a good job enough of, is trying to relate emotionally with people. We're doing a better job nowadays, I want to say, but you know, issues like climate change and, and the science behind it is not a simple thing. It's very complex, and that's why it's actually easier to, to try to disprove it unscientifically than it is to try to explain it to people scientifically. And that's where the disconnect is. If you look at the Green Party's policies, like I was telling you, it's 145 pages. Who the heck is going to want to sit down and read that, <laughs> right? Like, there's so much detail there. There's so much science. Like You're going to fall asleep within two pages. This is why Greens haven't been appealing. It's because there's too much detail. There's too much complexity. Not enough of this relatability. And so this whole politicizing of these marketable traits, you know, the famous people, um, you know, uh, sure, the person of color that's maybe better looking than somebody else, like, we need to stop doing that type of stuff. But at the same time, how do you change a system without getting into the system first? It sucks, right? And that's why it sucks to say, but we got to play their game until, until we get in there and really change the system or lead by example and then change the system again. And that's at least what our campaign's trying to do. You know, I don't normally dress like this. You know me, baggy toque, sweater. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm comfortable in. But I'm trying to at least be presentable enough so that people will give me a chance and actually listen to what I have to say because a lot of people do judge firsthand first, right? First impression. So I'm at least trying to get in there so that they can hear my messaging and then try to change the system that way. It's tough. It's really tough. So yeah. what do we do? What would you do? Well, I don't know. I, I mean, you know, personally, even with the work that I'm trying to build with the perspectives, I mean, the health thing aside, that's kind of slowed me down this year. Mm. I was making great strides last year, I think, you know, meeting a lot of people in kind of building shows and yeah. published a magazine out of nothing. Congrats on that, brother. You know, there were limits there, ones that I... I'm looking back was naive about you know for example the magazine I wanted to self-publish print only screw digital yeah. artists first inner city only like I had a lot of thoughts about what was going to be right and now I'm looking at it's been about a year and instead of having published five issues we've published three and it's kind right. of in it's a little bit dead in the water I'm not giving up on it or the concept in general and certainly you know uh, you know I, I, 
getting diagnosed with epilepsy is not helping. But at the same time, I don't know. Like, I don't know how to answer these questions. But it's also why I'm, I'm posing them to you because I personally, as a voter, um, I personally, as a voter, I want to believe that I have some impact mm-hmm. when I vote. Yeah. But I think more and more, particularly with this partisan rhetoric, mm-hmm. this partisan conversation we're having, there's going to be, like the U.S., greater and greater apathy. Because when people are sick of both you know, Trudeau's corruption, Andrew Scheer just being Andrew Scheer, a person, I mean, that I'm just hating, yeah, but yeah. Uh, I, I think what he represents and how he presents himself is not something that I personally connect with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I go and what am I going to do? Like I, I told people at the provincial election, I shouldn't even yeah. got involved, but I was like, go and scratch a ballot, at least vote, right? Yeah. Um, but the rhetoric is not, the conversation is not go and vote for green or go and vote for orange or yeah. go and vote for an independent because you feel like you're throwing it away. And if you're going to throw mm. it away, why even bother taking time to go out? There's something about that conversation that needs to change. You know, I love that you're mm-hmm. seeing that as this term courage and pushing that out to people that having the courage to not think that it's a waste of time mm-hmm. that even if you don't win in the short term I just did quotation marks on an audio podcast <laughs> but um, if quote unquote you, you're not going to win yeah. anything for me it's not going to give me a job today it's not going to um, give me the ability to have retirement health insurance all these things that I'm particularly concerned about pay my yeah. car uh, payment or, or my mortgage totally but that 20, 40 even generationally they don't have some kind of greater impact. Um, that's a tough one. I mean, you're dealing... It's really tough. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I would have to flip it back to you. I mean, what, yeah, what is the plan? Tough. What is the plan to get people to stop thinking about themselves? It's, it's one of the toughest questions of our, of our time right now in, the, in this political system, right? And I, I, I try every year to, to try to change how I word this type of messaging. But I think one that's resonating the most is that, like, listen, guys how many years have we had this rhetoric of strategic voting every every year every election time every municipal or not not municipal here but i mean provincial federal it's always been about hey worse for the the least worse person or not even person party you should be voting for the candidate by the way not the party but let, let's return to this voting for the least worst party it's a cyclical thing, like I mentioned before, right? And these marginal, marginal changes back and forth, back and forth. And I'm I'm saying, guys, like, it's right dead in our face right now. We we see this happening over and over and over again, even after they, they break promises right in front of your noses. So sure, you may think that a vote to a progressive party, like the, the Greens or the NDPs, mainly the Greens, guys, <laughs> but you might think of it as a wasted vote. But to a lot of people that are wanting to vote green soon, they see that number rising little by little and then more and more and more. They're like, oh, actually I should invest. It's like investing in anything, a stock or whatever. You want to see that grow eventually. So why not put your money there now, your vote there now, and be part of the change, be part of that movement, be part of influencing other people. So if you vote green this time, you're actually helping influence others to say that it is a viable option right that it's a courageous one sure you're legitimizing these values that we have you're legitimizing that hey climate change is real we need to put actions in this and let's say if i don't win this time we think we can by the way if i don't win this time but i hit 
let's say, hit 10 to 15% of the votes, let's say whoever wins, let's say it's a conservative person who wins, they see that, oh, shoot, the Greens had 10 to 15% of the votes, and the Greens stand for this, this is what Tana was running on, well, shoot, now I should probably have some policies regarding the things that these people voted for, right? And even if they don't, four years later, we have another election, there we go. People that wanted to vote green last time are definitely voting green this time because they know there's people out there who will support those same values. It's a tough one. It's a, it's a tough one to grasp, right? And it's hard to explain, but you got to just dig deep. Otherwise, we will never, ever, ever change this system. We will keep being fed the same rhetoric of strategic voting until we are all dead and until this planet is dead and there's nothing left. And, you know, historians will look back on us thinking we're the most ridiculous human society of this time that kept just marginally voting for what we feared most on. Yeah. It's tough, man. It's tough. I get it. Yeah. That fear and courage mm. is a fascinating thing. And if, if I can, if I may, one more thing here on, on that same kind of topic here. A few days ago, it was Greta Thunberg, a young 15-year-old. No, she was 15. She's, I think, she's 16 now. But she decided to go on a strike on a Friday by herself. She left school, went and strike in the name of climate change by herself. Nobody knew her yet. She did, she did this week after week, grew more attention, grew more attention. And now she's an internationally known climate change warrior. Really? Right? And she did it all by herself because that's what she cared most about. And she wanted to show other people to have the courage. Again, the same theme of courage and fighting for what you want. Because if you don't do it, nobody will ever see that it's a viable thing to do and nobody will follow. Let's say when you get into power, Tana, <laughs> um, and you, you know, that sort of the metaphorical black book or the, you know, Pandora's box or whatever is open to you and you see if not the true, then at least the next tier of information of how mm -hmm. interrelated everything actually is, you know, so if it's on a federal scale and mm. um, how funds are actually allocated and how they actually, you know, who's actually paying for what, because uh, right. there's no way all of that is transparent. I mean, I, I just can't believe that anyone, even low tier politicians that are elected, know the true inner workings of where all of these uh, mm -hmm. dollars come from, etc. It's kind of like Obama and, and bailing out the auto industry. Right. What are the true nuances of that recession? Uh, so I get the, the topical thing. I see Ford, GM, you know, mm -hmm. getting hundreds of billions of dollars yeah. to just make the same shitty cars. Mm -hmm. I see Trudeau dumping money into Quebec, and there's already an anti-Quebec rhetoric. We live in Alberta because we oh, give yeah. them so much money, allegedly. Mm -hmm. But what does that really mean? I don't actually know. You know, I, I, you know what is the impact of letting SNC-Lavalin die or Bombardier? Mm -hmm. What is the trickle-down effect? What is the news and information that Trudeau gets? And then I think about you, Tana, and what will be the information you get? Mm -hmm. So you and let's say Elizabeth May, and, and then somehow uh, you form this federal party and you want to do climate change and you say, okay, mm -hmm. no more uh, tar sands. How do you get those figures of what the true, how long would that impact take? You know, what is an affordable way to do wind, solar, and what, how can you guarantee the wage will yeah. be good? I don't know. 
Yeah, no, and, and, and love that you pose that. Well, for, first of all, I got to make things clear. We aren't about turning off the oil sands or right. shutting it down, right? It's all about transitioning appropriately and not, not leaving a single worker behind. That, that's how our whole platform, climate action platform is all about. But I love that you bring that up. Like, how, how do we actually get there, right? And how, how do we get the numbers and whatnot? We will have a fully costed out platform. That's going to be reviewed by the Parliamentary Budget Office. So it's their nonpartisan body that actually looks at the numbers, accountants and whatever else, to make sure that everything actually aligns with what we're promising. And not only that, we're showing you how they're going to be costed and also in what year and what time frame, right? Which I think is extremely important because now people actually get a better sense of if it's realistic. And we're the only party doing that, which is really important. So you're, you're talking about this transparency and stuff. Like at our core, everything is transparent. Our, all of our fundraising money that, that we use for the, the Green Party, everything is also shown to pretty much the staple that we buy, how, how things are spent within the party. There, there, there's, I sit on the federal council board for the Green Party as an Alberta representative, so, so I see these things firsthand. If we get elected, also, I, I also want to remind people that I'm not going to be an expert on, on all these things. I'm not going to be an expert on immigration on some of the agriculture stuff, whatever else. But I will always confide in experts, always, no matter what. And I think that's the thing that, that's somewhat missing in politics right now is, is confiding in, in experts, but also having this open discussion with people and showing what we are kind of debating about, like issues. Okay, well, do we want to spend money on this? This is why we're thinking this right now. And this is why we're considering plan B as well. Here are all the numbers. Let's talk about it in, at town halls with our constituents and whatnot. That's kind of what's missing right now because it's very top down with the big parties. It's always okay, Trudeau and Cheer are saying this, all you candidates now are the puppets and you have to go and sell, tell this messaging to the people and also within the parliament, you will also have to vote this way because within those big parties, they have party whipping, right? Within the Green Party, there, there's no party whipping. There's free votes within the parliament, right? So we can actually represent the constituents appropriately. And, and I've told people this before, but at the end of the day, it, you know, the boss, is, isn't, the boss isn't Elizabeth May if I get elected. It's the people. And I know that sounds kind of cheesy, and a lot of people are probably cynical about that as well. But honestly, I have my values that I care for and that people know if I get elected, these are what I'm going to try to fight. These are type of bills that I want to bring forward. But at the end of the day, if, if I have a town hall and most people are kind of against a certain thing, I can't just turn around and say, well, no, I'm not going to vote against the people here. I'm actually going to say, well, this, this is what the people of Calgary Centre want. I know that I feel differently about it, but I'm going to vote this way because it is for the people no matter what. And I think that's what's most important. Well, I hope that it's that straightforward. If there's one thing I'm learning too in my all of this change in my life is that the mm -hmm. concept of humility, this concept of being able to listen, uh, evidence-based. I mean, as a quick anecdote, um, being diagnosed with an illness, as you may or may not know, everybody suddenly has an opinion about how I should heal myself. Mm. And it's not to hate everybody's being so compassionate and nice, but uh, the big one is CBD oil. Is is told mm. I'm told to drink CBD oil almost daily. Uh, but kind of to your point, I mean, initially uh, I was a bit of a, I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know, you can have your opinions. But, you know, I went to my neurologist and I asked, 
And my neurologist told me, at least in her view, that uh, there's no compelling scientific evidence yet. Mm -hmm. And so most of it's anecdotal. And so we just agreed together that there's no point in exploring it. Um, that's an interesting thing. Like that process is not something I would have been capable of, hmm. you know, five years ago. Yeah. I would have either listened to my dude who knows shit and whatever, or I would have been upset about it. Right. That being able to go and have a conversation with an expert and then to actually assess what their view is and have that open conversation. That's a fairly complex thing. Picking up the phone to ask for help is a complex thing. It's what you're doing, knocking on doors, is a complex thing. It's not that straightforward. I would challenge anybody listening to this to try to knock on somebody's door, to ask them like in the old days for a, a cup of flour. Those sort of nuances have changed quite a lot in our social structure. So I hope, I hope that as we get onto this next stage, presumably of let's say politics and leadership, that it's not corrupting in and of itself. That the system itself isn't corrupting. Yeah. And that you and I can meet for a follow-up podcast in like, you know, yeah. well, hopefully four months. But whenever it happens, and it hasn't changed your view, that you'll be willing to listen to people in spite of your own personal beliefs. Um, yeah, that's about it. Um, yeah, any quick plugs? Any, <laughs> any messaging you want to get in there to 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 wrap this thing up all right no it was a great conversation you know and I, this is what's great with a lot of calgarians is that a lot of people are open-minded they're willing to at least hear what you have to say and as i've said before like we're all of us are much more progressive leaning than we think than what the media kind of allows us to to feel right and i think what i want to tell constituents is sure have the courage but also allow yourself to to be vulnerable and to take a chance because if we don't start taking chances now, nothing is going to change. So stand up for what you believe in. Thanks, Tanem. Thanks for coming over. Uh, is there, what's the best way people can kind of contact you or figure stuff out about the Green Party or communicate with you? Yeah, check, check me out on social media, Tanem4YYC, Tan is T-H-A-N-A, numerical 4, Y-Y-C. And then the greenparty.ca website has a very detailed list of platform and issues and my website as well votetana.ca has a lot of information so on what social platforms are you on instagram twitter facebook all tana for yyc it's exhausting <laughs> i'm on like one i'm, I'm burnt out yeah that's great um yeah thanks a lot thanks so much for having me perspectives yyc and david yoon all right, man. all right we'll chat soon yeah cool A quick note from our main sponsor, ATB. 
ATB takes pride in all algorithms. That means standing up for what is right in the workplace, in our communities, and alongside community partners, including Firefly and Schools, Calgary Libraries Reading with Royalty Program, Edmonton and Calgary Pride, and the Calgary Sexual Health Center. At ATB, we believe pride is a stance, a stance for love, diversity, and self-worth. A stance for acceptance in our workplace, in the communities we serve, and with our community partners. Learn more at atb.com slash pride.